So today we're going to continue the discussion of views action path. This will be number 15. And uh, we ended last time right in the middle of incessant distress. So I hope listeners are not feeling incessant distress, but um, it's a very deep teaching uh, as to the nature of dukkha, one of the three uh, marks or characteristics of existence in the octave, all 31 planes, or the experience of beings who are not fully enlightened in the 31 planes, particularly um, above the animal. Uh, how much distress animals feel is hard to say, because they don't have self-consciousness. But surely from self-consciousness, third density up, including all the astral planes, including uh, four, fifth, six, seven density even, maybe, maybe not much seven, but third, fourth, fifth, sixth density. Um, the experience of the three marks um, in those dimensions for beings that are not fully enlightened um, is uh, quite apparently real. <laughs> it's a vivid illusion. Um, it's as real as um, the mind's... Uh, establishing experience or fashioning uh, samskara, you know, fabrications of mental constructions and all that. Uh, so people say, is hell real? Oh, there's no hell. No, <laughs> it seems to me from my experience and uh, lots and lots of others, uh, yeah, there really is, although there really is hell and all those other dimensions as real as the appearance of this one. Uh, and so the teaching of, quote, incessant distress, which is the page, I'll send the link, um, that we worked from last time, um, is the P Pelima um, being considered the key to understanding the truth of Dukkha, Dukkha Satcha. And so Satcha means truth. And Sama, like Samaditi, means right. And we went from last time where there was a discussion of um, the correct interpretation of anicca, dukkha, anatta. Why is that so important? And there's that link. And particularly, point number seven, or the first of the two points, he numbered as seven. I want to read again and then jump back to the new section, new material on incessant distress. Number seven from why is correct interpretation of anicca, dukkha, anatta so important? And bear in mind that the deeper the understanding of the three marks, uh, Anicca, Anatta, Dukkha, which is the ordering I prefer, the deeper our understanding is the deeper our insight or vipassana or awakening. And that leads to dispassion and detachment. And that leads to even further uh, awakening and then release. And that's the cycle. But to get to a clear understanding of the three marks, and not just an intellectual or beginning with an intellectual, uh, understanding leading to direct um, gnosis or a direct seeing not born of thinking, calculating, figuring it out or saying is this dukkha or is this how is this really dukkha or anatta or anicca it, there, is, uh, there, there are uh, successive realizations of the three marks during samadhi if one is indeed staying in mindfulness rather than jumping into a, a trance, a formless trance uh, the key to, you know, coming to insight, uh, these awakenings or understanding more 
tangibly in the whole mind, body, spirit, you know, whole and embodied deep realization, deepening realizations of the three marks um, requires right view to begin even before, and that establishes morality or even some set of values that could lead us to want to see into the nature of our experience more deeply than we come to see more deeply the three marks. Number seven, from the other page, why is the correct interpretation of these three marks important? He writes, Thus Samaditi, and he wrote it as vision to get rid of defilements, which is, you know, a creative interpretation, but you can also call it right view. Uh, Samaditi is none other than true comprehension of the three characteristics. So right view is essentially um, understanding this, this, this quality, the, you know, this uh, threefold <clears throat> uh, set of um, experiential realities for us um, in, the, in, in all experience, actually. And, and he's saying that when one gains a bit of samaditi or right view, um, in, inevitably, uh, I'll, I'll change his wording, he wrote it as, it will try to prevent one, but the reality, you know, the, the consequences of right view, which is pretty much <laughs> spiritual view, which is, you know, including multidimensionality and multi-incarnationality and karma, and, and including what Ra would teach in terms of higher self and the, the intelligent design of life narrative, like pre-programmed catalyst, having a, you know, why did this terrible thing happen? Well, it can be known <clears throat> increasingly. When one gains a bit more of this, of right view, um, naturally, um, unhelpful thoughts like the asavas we talked about before, mental uh, inflow, uh, mental flow, distorted mental flow, or unhelpful mental patterns, naturally decrease, as well as wrong speech of any type, as well as wrong action of any type, and or harmful, wrong means harmful, uh, lifestyle, action, speech, and then naturally <clears throat> one makes efforts to be on the path or uh, increasingly one values mindfulness or self-observation or observation of one's own mind and one's own um, reaction to, to situations. Um, one um, basically goes from um, a deep deepening spiritual view or view of reality, including um, us as not only mind-body, and there being indeed consequences of moral activity, or there indeed is moral activity, there is that which helps and that which harms, and that which helps and harms a little or a lot, knowing that, um, one is more careful, <laughs> one is more self-observing, um, and that comes down, and, and all of that comes from a deeper understanding of Buddha Dhamma, or the teachings, and so there's a quote from Gautama that he wrote here, uh, once one sees the Dhamma, Dhamma will guide, protect, and direct. And they, these are, you know, in accord with the law of squares, the consequence of right view, or seeking to live in truth. And that includes the truth that uh, some ways that I live or act help me, and some don't, and some help me a lot, and some don't, and um, I don't want to hurt myself, and I want to be careful, because, um, 
it's important uh, <laughs> not to hurt myself. And, uh, and that's associated in psychology with an internal locus of control, internal rather than external, uh, moving out of the attitude, blaming others and the world for my distress and realizing that much of my distress or all of our distress at all levels um, is more or less self-created. <laughs> and so, um, and uh, the final point, number eight, is just to bear in mind in terms of the future and where we'll talk later, he says, when one attains Sotapanna stage or awakening, which is significantly about understanding or a penetration to the reality of the three marks, one may still have greed, hate, and delusion, but the Sotapanna knows about them and knows how to get rid of them and, and would know that they're also impermanent. And if we don't feed it, it goes away. Meaning harmful patterns, particularly greed or desire and aggression or anger, uh, if we don't feed them, what happens? Well, they weaken. And um, if you don't keep thinking about how angry you are, are you still angry? Well, you can see that actually you won't be. And yet the cause, the external cause, may still need to be addressed, meaning there is something in the environment triggering our anger, but it's our distortions or chakra blockages that are coming to the anger uh, or leading to the anger. <clears throat> and we may need to talk, you know, we may need right speech and right action in response to the other person or the situation uh, that did trigger our anger. Even if the anger is distorted, the basis is reasonable in that there is an injustice or some something unfair, something uh, harmful, something that needs calling out in the relationship. And so uh, it's not helpful to get stuck in blaming ourselves for our anger or get stuck in amping up the anger, um, but to acknowledge it. <clears throat> and, and honestly, um, the more a person spends time in, in samadhi or uh, mindfulness watching mind or mindfulness watching breath, and I think watching breath is more important actually than watching mind because if you're truly watching breath in like Anapanasati, breath will slow down, respiration slows, and there's less breath happening and one is then watching mind or the you know mental process, mental, phys physical, emotional, mental process while one's watching breath and then one naturally grows increasingly detached actually if one really keeps up with the with the mindfulness meaning non-grasping awareness so it all makes sense and now when we go to the other page incessant distress um, <clears throat> the first paragraph of note here he said that um, most people think the first noble truth on suffering or just the Dhamma Satcha is physical suffering and he associates it with you know Vedana Stetasika which means sensation in the body but the Buddha said, quote, this, this Dhamma is unlike anything that the world has ever seen, quote, end quote. The real truth on suffering, he writes, which is true, is the suffering hidden in what everyone perceives to be happiness. And that needs to be seen with wisdom. And um, this term, Tat Dukkha Satcha, or Satcha, the truth of suffering, he explains the word Pilima, Pelima, um, saying this is the part of suffering we undergo even without realizing it, 
it's it's the level of distress or disturbance or dissatisfactoriness in the mind that is continual based on um, our ignorance-based way of perceiving and reacting, uh, interpreting, uh, and therefore living or speaking and doing. Um, if you don't see, if we don't see the three marks, or to the extent we don't see them, um, there's naturally grasping and aversion. And as we're grasping and aversion, coming out of clinging or some sense of thirst or some sense of there's something wrong here, uh, we uh, experience the dukkha that comes from continued grasping and aversion. Even if that leads to moments of, uh, you know, pleasure in the body or happiness in the mind or joy in the heart or bliss uh, of one's total being, uh, it can definitely be seen, I've seen it in meditation, how the very act of moving from non-thought to thought is dukkha. The very act of generating thought is dukkha. <laughs> and that's a very subtle level. And um, I'm going to go to point number three. It, this page is worth reading many times over. Um, number three is where we get to the heart of some of this teaching here. Uh, what he writes, what we perceive as happiness actually comes from the relief we get when the distress level is subdued via our efforts. All we do is to suppress the incessant imbalances, and he goes on, this is illustrated by the following example. Suppose a person had his hands bound behind him, then someone hits him hard with a stick, he feels pain. This is analogous to dukkha dukkha, meaning stress-stress, uh, the incessant battering imparted by nature, or any kind of disharmonious sensation in body and mind as well. So, listening to a jackhammer is dukkha dukkha for body-mind or having people yell at us, <laughs> dukkha dukkha, or strike us, or physical, obviously. It, it's obviously uh, suffering, pain, distress, uh, stressful, un, unpleasant. But that's um, not the only level of dukkha, obviously. Uh, and uh, I'll go on, and then I'll pull back, uh, go to the top. Uh, he says, if someone starts massaging the place that was hit, the person feels good and asks to be massaged more, but work must be done to impart this happiness. This is compared to the Shankara Samskara Dukkha. In this example, someone else is doing the work, but in real life, each person is doing this extra work for himself. For example, when one's hungry, one needs to prepare work, then he becomes, prepare food. Then he becomes happy after eating food. Now, this term, this phrase, Shankara Samskara Dukkha, um, is really um, the subtle levels of stress that are involved in um, effortful creating happiness again for ourselves. Um, and you can even say that the the suffering I could feel, the dukkha I could feel with the uh, the inception of thought from a place of equanimity and and no thought or little thought, is um, also a type of samkara dukkha in that thought is um, at some level um, self-comforting. Why do we think? <laughs> now we're really looking at metacognition. Well, I think because I feel it's helpful to be thinking, to interpret or understand, to make sense, to calm myself out of, understand, out of confusion, uh, to do something to make me better, to make it better. 
And that's another type, that's the second type of Sankara Dukkha. And so, um, he said, uh, <clears throat> um, now if we ask the person if we should hit him again so he can get the pleasure of the massage again, of course he refuses. This is because he knows the pain associated with the hit. On the other hand, we seek pleasure by working to satisfy our senses because we do not know that there's a root cause for the baseline distress. And we do not even realize that there is such a baseline suffering until a Buddha discovers it, <laughs> and people uh, talk about it, and uh, write about it, and um, think about it. And that is the that is the very big difference between Buddhism and everybody else on the page. Every other religion on earth does, um, doesn't recognize or doesn't look into the dukkha of, of mind-body experience prior to any, uh, you know, distinct from um, any kind of physical, emotional, mental um, pain experience, meaning the baseline suffering, incessant distress, or the baseline uh, of dukkha, there is really no other religion I've ever heard of that talks about that. And that's why you've got, I mean, only Buddhism knows this, and that's why Trungpa Rinpoche wrote the book Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, Pretty much everybody, every other tradition and people following other traditions are in the dark as to the baseline dukkha, the dukkha dukkha, or, or let's say <laughs> the, the samskara dukkha, uh, the, the mental activity associated with grasping and aversion, which it is inevitably, mental, emotional activity, including um, the activity that's associated with happiness and pleasure and even joy, because it's impermanent, because it's anatta or selfless, insubstantial, because all of our experiences, fashioned, compounded, arises, uh, decays, and passes away, there is dukkha to it, and that that is uh, what what Gautama realized and taught that nobody else does, actually, and that's why Buddhism even understands spiritual materialism while most other traditions are caught in it unconsciously. Seeking what? Seeking magical power, seeking uh, higher jhanas, seeking bliss or union, which are all temporary experiences that are insubstantial and therefore associated with stress. Yeah. And the further point, the top, number three, that actually I believe um, Jack Cornfield, Cornfield, Cornfeld also wrote about which I guess he got from <laughs> the teachers in Sri Lanka or Thailand um, who have this deeper understanding of dukkha, is that even the, the various forms of, of sukha, happiness, like physical pleasure, emotional well-being, um, physical emotional happiness, joy, bliss even, um, because um, they, they arise from a state of mind that was not of such happiness, um, in many ways the happiness is associated with um, the relief of the ending of the prior condition of mind of not happiness. You know, when I feel happy, it's coming, it, it's the arising of that feeling or experience from a condition prior to it arising, duh, which means it comes from a mind that wasn't there yet. And uh, part of the, the nature of it 
actually is relief from the ending of stress of dukkha dukkha or some other state that was not the same as this sukha or happiness uh, that has ended with the arising of you know pleasure or happiness or joy. Um, and there's nothing wrong with those. Obviously, they're wonderful. Um, but they're also dukkha, and if one is attached to them, one will get into trouble. Like uh, typical one uh, has had bliss uh, or higher jhana in meditation, and every time one sits down, one is looking to get that again, which would be nice, but um, only those monks <laughs> or yogis or people who've, who really train the mind extensively can go into blissful jhanas on demand. It can be done. And most people will say, oh, well, don't expect that. You know, even a difficult meditation is a good meditation. Nobody gets that. Don't expect unreasonable. But actually, that's not true. It is possible to go into jhana on demand. But we can't do it because we haven't trained ourselves to that extent. But to a large degree, it's really true that um, there's an unrecognized relief from the current state of mind that's very much associated with what we call uh, pleasure, happiness, joy, or bliss, the forms of sukha. And the other, you know, as I said, the deeper matter is that although those experiences are wonderful, <laughs> everybody likes it, and there is a certain, you know, being touched, touched by a feather or touched by, you know, a loving hand, <laughs> uh, your, your lover's uh, soft hand touch, is obviously more pleasing physically, sense, you know, sensorially, than to be punched. Um, there isn't necessarily much ending of suffering in getting touched, uh, or it, it affects the physical pleasurably. Um, it's associated with harmony and all sorts of well-being, and then there's the mental-emotional levels. But even that... Um, that happiness does arise in distinction to um, the prior state of mind that wasn't um, feeling such sukha or happiness or pleasure in the body. And then, of course, the reality is that all those experiences are impermanent and insubstantial, uh, and attachment to them uh, definitely leads to trouble. So he goes on and concludes number three. On the other hand, we seek pleasure by working to satisfy our senses because we do not know that there's a root cause for the baseline distress. We do not realize <clears throat> that there is such baseline suffering until the Buddha discovers it. And um, uh, that's the, that, that, in a certain level, <laughs> is one of the key characteristics of a Buddha arising in a world. Buddhas have arisen in many planets, you know, in third density. They don't need to arise in, in higher dimensions <clears throat> because they're not so clueless as the veiled entities in 3D are, but uh, one characteristic of a Buddha arising in a 3D world is that they're teaching the truth of Dukkha, the first noble truth. And um, it's a whole lot more than um, <clears throat> the fact that, you know, life is hard or something like that, or the mind's unstable. It's the three characteristics. And he concludes and says, this compared can be compared directly to the above example if we can impart a hit on the person while he's still under anesthetics. This guy's a scientist. In that case, when he comes out of anesthesia, he feels the pain but doesn't know what caused it. Okay, whatever. But this, the reality of baseline suffering um, is critical to understanding the dukkha satcha. Number four, 
the reality is that no matter what we do to please the senses, and he's just talking about physical, sensual attachment, like eating, drinking, sleeping, sexual, you know, touch, um, standing in the sun, <laughs> looking at the sun or walking in the lovely forest, which is nice, it doesn't really lead to much trouble, but no matter what we do to please the senses, those pleasing moments are limited, right? That's called anicca, impermanent. Even if we can maintain that sense input for long times, the senses get tired after a while, and ask for a different kind of experience, let us look at some examples, and that's very true. The <clears throat> uh, part of the um, impermanence of the, the sukha, of the happiness, uh, not only at the sensory level, but the mind too, is that conditions of body-mind keep changing overall, and therefore it really doesn't happen that um, the same happiness I got when I first got it remains indefinitely just the same. Now, you know, there is love relationship that builds over time, that's true too. And that, you know, no, nobody here really is saying you shouldn't want what you want. And that's the point. Gautama was teaching lay people who didn't want to become monks, and that was fine. <clears throat> and you don't have to become a monk either. Um, but the more you one does meditation or study than meditation and has insight, the more one will be free from suffering. <laughs> that's also true. So one goes as deep into Buddha Dhamma as one, you know, truly longs for freedom from suffering. And he gives some kind of simple examples here. We can be lying in the most comfortable bed, but sooner or later we start shifting and rolling, trying to find a better posture, eventually cannot stay in bed anymore. Even the most delicious food, we can only eat so much at a time. Not only that, if we eat the same kinds of foods for a week, we get tired of it regardless of how good they are, want to try a different type of food, that's true. This is called, and so Gautama knew this stuff <laughs> 2,500 years ago. There's a uh, metaphysician named uh, Siddhartha Gautama that uh, outlined all of the very subtle dynamics of our stressful, unhappy mind in life. And uh, this was called Viparinama Dukkha, another kind of Dukkha. And you have to look into Viparinama, Nama's name. Vipari, I don't know. This arises because nothing we can do to maintain the status quo, nothing we do can maintain the status quo. Anything that brings us pleasure is destroyed or ceases eventually. Right. Causes change. <clears throat> and that's why they say, you know, nothing like the first time, you know, um, only the first time is the best or first time is the best or whatever, your first kiss or first love or first, you know, eating some yummy food. Um, because the mind's always changing, mind-body always changing. And he, he writes, many people think Viparinamatukha arises due to change, or anitya, meaning impermanence, anitya. But change is parinama. Viparinama is the unexpected change. Unexpected actually also means unrecognized. If something changes as expected, that's easier to handle mentally, but due to anicca nature, meaning <laughs> anicca, the truth that, that our experience is of inconstancy and ever-changing, ever-unstable um, experience. That's just the way it is, outer and inner. Uh, due to that, anicca, things happen unexpectedly, and that causes viparinama dukkha. Things happening unexpectedly um, is the macro level. On the micro level is that 
uh, change is generally unrecognized. Incessant change, right? There's incessant distress or the dukkha that is baseline to all ignorance-based mind-fashioning experience. Uh, <clears throat> it's stressful to cling. It's stressful to crave. It's stressful to grasp. It's stressful to have aversion. Even the the three poisons are over, are dukkha, and their basis upadana clinging, and its basis tana craving or hunger or longing. Uh, that too is dukkha. It's all dukkha, and it doesn't mean there isn't temporary or real experience, particularly of uh, joy like love, or bliss as in meditation. Yes, that's true, and in those moments one really is going to be hard-pressed to find dukkha, but it can be found, and that's a real bummer, but uh, <clears throat> uh, there is uh, the unexpected change, which is, uh, oh, I thought uh, she loved me, but I see she has another boyfriend, but that's, that's a very macro course level, more subtle is the fact that, uh, you know, what I buy and, and I'm so happy to buy today, I will look at differently tomorrow and tomorrow, tomorrow, and in the future, I may not even think about it ever after it brought me so much pleasure. And that's what the negatives, that's why the negatives are on a hamster loop or a hamster wheel. The negatives are like hamsters rolling around because um, they may have uh, social power, financial power, magical power even, mental power, sure. They have physical, mental, financial, will power, magical power at the high levels, but they're continually craving, clinging, grasping. Clinging, craving, grasping. Continually. That's real dukkha. So the negative path is the path of dukkha, you can say. And <clears throat> the um, real viparinama dukkha, I'd say, is, is the fact that all of our experience is anicca and that itself is pretty damn dukkha. <laughs> and... Um, most people don't get it and um, don't know why there is this this background dissatisfaction in mind and this is the deepest level uh, there are many other levels of dissatisfaction such as uh, I really can't communicate well <laughs> I can't express my mind very well or my partner doesn't is is not explaining his or her position very well or I really am being mistreated here in this situation, or uh, the world is a whole lot more screwed up than I see it on, on TV, things like that. And so, number five, he says, in summary, number one, point one, we're under constant stress, dukkha, due to ever-present demands to satisfy the six senses, dukkha, dukkha, and uh, that's mainly due to kama vipaka, or cause-effect, or karma and causality. <clears throat> and that's true, right? Um, you scratch your leg, and then you put your hand on your leg, and then you wait, and then later you feel some urge, and you move your hand to uh, warm your knee, or whatever you might be doing. There is a dukkha dukkha to that um, continual dissatisfaction with the current, with the status quo, um, with the current conditions, which are themselves ever ever in flux, and so. There's also the ever-present demands to satisfy. You see, the six senses includes the mind sense, and so it's not just the five body. There's the six mind sense, <clears throat> and that's the real problem, I think, is the 
a constant um, hunger, tana, thirst at the level of mind for something other than what I have right now, uh, something other than what is right now. And uh, one can see that, that's called the monkey mind, that's the root of the monkey mind, and one sees that well in meditation. And the more one really can sit in samadhi or sit with uh, mindfulness, one na- the mind learns non-grasping, the mind non-grasping becomes increasingly comfort comfortable um, not grasping, which really means this constant dukkha due to ever-present um, restlessness, uh, and craving or hunger for something uh, decreases. Uh, the hunger decreases, the stress decreases, the instability decreases, and one can sit sit strong. One can sit well in life, not just in meditation. So constant stress due to ever-present demands to satisfy the six senses, which includes the mind, longing, which is dukkha dukkha, due to karma or related to karma, Two, we suffer more by working to get relief from such demands, and that's Shankara Dukkha, Samskara, Fourth Skanda Dukkha, the, the stress um, of doing <laughs> physically and mentally to get or push away. And then, whatever satisfaction, number three, whatever satisfaction we get does end, either due to that, quote, sense-fulfilling process, breaking down unexpectedly, or us getting bored with it. And that's viparinama dukkha. <clears throat> so it's pretty depressing. Uh, three forms of dukkha, or three um, aspects of the basic dukkha of um, this mind. <laughs> this mind in uh, third and fourth and fifth and sixth dimension. So you're damn right that sixth density entities want to hear this, uh, as well as fourth and fifth, who are um, the few who are getting tired of. Uh, you know, loving, joyous community in fourth dimension and um, mental uh, examinations in fifth. So, um, this is the this is Dhamma Sacha, and it's a very big deal. And he goes on. However, uh, the longing for such temporary bouts of happiness keeps all three types of suffering hidden, meaning the suffering of um, what's disharmonious. Uh, to the five physical senses, to the body or the mind, um, the karmic resultant, karmic resultant distress uh, of body mind, and then the distress or stress dukkha of um, um, doing with body and mind to get better, and then the dukkha or stress. Uh, of the natural uh, weakening cessation of the happiness or joy or bliss or well-being that comes from uh, temporary relief. The the second type, getting, does get, uh, and that has a lifespan (laughs) and a limited shelf life. And before you know it, um, the mind is longing for some change or improvement to the status quo yet again. And... um, or we just get bored, and um, it's called the thrill is gone, and what used to, um, you know, turn me on doesn't anymore, or what used to be good doesn't anymore, doesn't work anymore. So, um, longing for such temporary bouts of happiness keeps all these three types of suffering hidden. Buddha gave the following simile. If you attach a pile of straw in front of an ox 
uh, pulling a cart. The ox will keep moving forward, eagerly trying to get the straw. It does not even feel its effort, some oxes, because it's only thinking about the reward it thinks it's hoping to get very soon. So that's a very uh, bitter image there. Um, there's a pleasure before our eyes, but we actually cannot grasp it. Um, but we can keep, but we keep moving forward to get it. But in fact, it's ever ahead, and never fully graspable. It's temporarily graspable, uh, and that's why um, you know <laughs> the the <clears throat> the octave, or I would say uh, the thirty-one planes, is akin to a burning house. That's Gautama's simile, certainly in Mahayana. I think it comes from from the Pali Canon. Uh, it's a burning house, whether you know it or not. And the pleasure uh, that we're seeking, or well-being, or everything that we're seeking, is always just up ahead of us. Uh, it's there is no final respite from distress in the octave. There's no now. That's just one way of looking at it. Okay. Um, another other the the other side is there's always more to learn and new things to explore and experience. And how about this? And how about that? And how about the other thing? And that's true too, which is still dukkha, whether you know it or not. And it's really for people who are getting a little bit of vairagya and um, not Viagra, but vairagya, which is dispassion, disinterest, and a little bit tired of that, going around. Wow, that's great. Looking around, go. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Now, what's the next thing? Oh, that's great. Or eventually, it becomes not so great, uh, and that person is ready for practice. So. Um, the reward ever up ahead of us, um, he writes, this is our ignorance, Avidya. We do not realize that no matter what we do, it's not possible to maintain anything to our satisfaction for long times. This is the characteristic of Anicca, right? And so I say Anicca Natadukkha because um, knowing Anicca and Anatta, we come to understand Dukkha. And... Um, Yet most people understand dukkha a bit, right? Life is hard, um, mind is unstable, but um, the anicca of phenomena, in that whatever we're grasping or whatever is our happiness, which is basically a sensory experience in the body and a samskara or mental construction in mind, those forms of um, pleasure in body, happiness, and joy in mind. Um, and bliss is mind, body, spirit, um, and a little different, but it also is temporary uh, until one is living in sixth and seventh density. <laughs> but then it's still temporary, but it lasts a pretty damn long time. It's simply not possible to maintain anything uh, as we wish it indefinitely. That's the truth of <laughs> the the basis of an, of dukkha that comes from anicca. And anicca is um, kind of um, operative wherever wherever unenlightened beings are experiencing. Number six, and I will six seven. We'll finish this page today. Number six, the worst part, worst part, is that in the lowest four realms, apaya, right, which is animal hell realm, hungry ghost condition, and um, and the asuras which is not quite lower, but it's lower in terms of quality of mind. The Asuras are not very happy campers in 4D negative, you know. <laughs> so all the um, 
all the negative entities that the that human military is working with they're all miserable minds so <laughs> human ignorant power mad folks um take miserable minded uh 4d negative orion uh power mad entities who are also in great miserable mind uh, as their teacher um <laughs> Live, live by the dukkha, die by the dukkha, and so, um, in the lowest four realms, beings become truly helpless, and so that's awaiting them. There's very little a being can do, samkara or samskara or fashioning, fabricating, by mind, in order to make amends for the incessant dukkha dukkha in those realms, and that's an interesting point. Um, there is a certain helplessness to beings in the four, particularly in the hell realm, hungry ghost condition. Animal realm, I think, is very rare for incarnation, but certainly as a hungry ghost or as a hell-bound being, as we see with um, uh, Astral City, as we see with Howard Storm, uh, as we see in many near-death experiences, and um, you know, even uh, What Dreams May Come, Robin Williams movie, there is a very limited uh, amount, uh, the, the power of those in those realms, Hungry Ghost or Hell, is really quite limited for them to get themselves out of it. And he says there's very little a being can do, or samkara, meaning fabricating or making action uh, by mind and body, in order to make amends for the incessant dukkha meaning to counteract the continual uh, raw pain of being in those realms. For example, a wild animal has very few choices when it gets hungry. If food is not found, it will go hungry for days with much suffering and eventually become prey to a stronger animal when it gets weak. In the wild, you do not see any old, sick animals. They just, the, just as they get weak, they are eaten by bigger, stronger animals. This is the true meaning of anatta. <laughs> One becomes truly helpless, especially in those lower realms. Well, that's a funky uh, definition of anatta normally means anatta, anatta means not self, and um, to call it helpless is a little strange, but there is a certain helplessness, um, but if you say, what, anatta is only of those four realms, then then he's misinterpreting the teaching, because uh, anatta is, pertains to beings in all 31 planes, not just the four lower, or animal, hell, hungry ghost, and um, 40 negative, which I think is Ashura. So, but uh, aside from that strange interpretation of anatta and the helplessness of those realms, I, I don't think you can say that beings in the other 27 realms are helpless. So then that definition of anatta as helpless is not very useful. But whatever, I don't know how we came to that. But there really, uh, there certainly is um, limited potency or will uh, available to beings in deep suffering, or when we're in deep suffering. Um, part of the deep suffering is um, uh, the, the severance of our capacity, severing of our limbs that can make action of our body and mind power or, fo or potency or ability to get us out of the suffering. And that's why in hell, um, in... <clears throat> In the case of Howard Storm and in the case of um, uh, Dr. Louise, Andre Louise, uh, the um, Astral City or Nosolar account of Chico 
Francisco Xavier, Astral City, that book, which we're going to get into soon, um, he really only had to surrender and pray and realize, I am helpless, and um, God, please save me. God, save me. And um, entities that are um, established materialists or hardcore nihilists <laughs> will have a hard time getting to that. So the hardcore nihilist is in big trouble if they are immoral, if they do harm with body, mind, and speech. Um, because when they um, inherit their inevitable karmic return after death and go to are in a hungry ghost or a hell condition, they have no sense of a higher benevolent uh, deity or God or creator or being to call upon for help. And they have very little capacity to get themselves out of that. And that's why they can hang there for a long time. So um, <clears throat> that's a big problem. <laughs> and he goes on, there is nowhere, number seven, nowhere in the 31 realms or planes where Dukkha is absent, meaning it's present in all 31 planes, or in the being, in the samskara, the experience fashioned by beings who are unenlightened in those 31 planes. The three types of Dukkha are present in the 31 realms in varying degrees. So present in the realm means generated by the being who's um, achieved um, incarnation in the realm. Uh, um, present in the consciousness of the beings associated with the realm. And so, and we looked about this before, Triloka, three realms, right? Kamaloka, Arupa, Arupaloka, Arupaloka. Loka as realm or world, also as a consciousness of beings in the realm or the folk, the, the beings of the realm. And he goes through the three or a couple here. In the lowest realm, the Nirayas, um, this is actually hell. <laughs> dukkha Dukkha is predominant. There is only suffering and no way to get relief by doing Samkara, meaning they can't think or move their way out of it. How about that? So that's what the heavy immorals, uh, the real deplorables or contemptibles uh, of humanity will look forward to. Uh, helpless, helplessness in the, in the lower realms of hell after death um, until they surrender and um, call to a higher deity for relief and they may never be able to do so. And that's a whole other story. No way to get relief by doing some kara, meaning doing some action with body-mind. Even in the animal realm, there's relatively little samkara dukkha, meaning um, capacity by free will to improve one's condition. They just suffer directly, as pointed out above. So the higher the being, the more willpower, the more will available, the greater the contact with intelligent energy the greater the access to higher self, the greater the free willing available uh, or, or experienced. Then he goes on, in the higher realms, above the human realm, there's very little dukkha, dukkha, very little dukkha, dukkha, meaning what's in what we would call fourth, fifth, sixth density, because those, because those are, quote, good births that originated due to meritorious karma, good karma, virtue. In these higher realms, it is the viparinama dukkha, that ends the life there, and again, viparinama is is a change-based uh, dukkha, 
or uh, Anicca Dukkha. <laughs> Anicca Dukkha is the Dukkha associated with impermanence. Whether expected or not, uh, subtle or coarse, uh, that's how beings leave the realm. And that's what Ra talked about, the ending of fourth density, that there isn't disease in 4D, much less in 5 and 6. There's nothing called disease or illness. But there is some degree of mental <clears throat> uh, stress, obviously, and there is fatigue. And Ra talked about that a fourth density entity would sort of feels fatigue when they're old and dies that way. <clears throat> um, but they have no disease of body or their physical form, their, you know, their fourth density energy form, body vehicle form, doesn't get diseased. But exactly in line with what Ross said, he's saying that um, it's Viparinama Dukkha that ends their life <clears throat> associated with um, the, um, the reality uh, of impermanence and change uh, associated with um, dukkha or dissatisfaction and stress, uh, because indeed there is still this experience of change there, and uh, that's called aging for the body. It's not painful, but there is a sort of fatigue in mind about it. He concludes that, says, also any Brahma, um, Brahma meaning a higher god or entity, that has, uh, any Brahma has not overcome suffering in the lowest four realms in the future, unless Uttapana stage has been attained. <clears throat> this is just saying that even certain higher um, Rupa Loka, it's not really Arupa, but in, even in what's called uh, Rupa form, which I think is fourth and fifth density, uh, beings there have obviously not yet uh, overcome <clears throat> um, Dukkha in the lowest four realms, meaning certain uh, planes of uh, fourth and fifth density, I believe, um, unless they have become sotapanna, which really means come to a certain awakening. And so, <clears throat> you can see here that while sotapanna is certainly a contact with intelligent infinity, um, the type of uh, contact with intelligent infinity that Ra talks about may not include uh, an understanding of the three marks as clearly as a Buddhist sotapanni would get. And so there are people who've had experiences of bliss or uh, unity, uh, selflessness, or God is all, all is God, uh, <clears throat> and then still don't realize uh, that they're continually creating suffering by um, mental grasping and aversion. And so Sotapanna <clears throat> is sort of a, a Buddhist uh, an experience of contact with uh, contact with intelligent infinity uh, from a mental perspective that comes to understand the three marks much more deeply, and that's a big difference. Finally, <clears throat> it's in the human realm that all three types of dukkha are present at significant levels. Also, samkara dukkha or sanskara dukkha is highest compared to all the realms. Um, because this is kamaloka, meaning desire-based realm, beings continually desiring, <coughs> meaning grasping and aversion, grasping and averring, <laughs> grasping and rejecting. Because of that, um, the suffering that comes from uh, endless fashioning, uh, doing by speech and body and mind, doing in mind, body, speech, um, 
is the predominant, <clears throat> and that that's a very important point. And um, in higher dimensions, four, five, six, in general, uh, yes, it's vipari nama dukkha that's main. So in the physic in the lower realm, so this is an interesting way of putting it. In the <clears throat> in the what's called the apayas or the four lower, um, which includes seems to be four D negative or ashura to me, which is not lower in terms of uh, electron, you know, <laughs> intelligent energy, dimensional or density, light potency, but lower in terms of quality of mind. Uh, ashura. 40 negative, uh, hell, hungry ghost, animal. The strongest kinds of dukkha is dukkha dukkha. It's quite painful to be there. In the in the higher, the higher the the greater form of suffering, other than you know ashura, but in the deva or 40, 4, 5, 60 positive, the main kind of dukkha is due to um, change. <clears throat> which means that their um, energy form or body or vehicle does age over <laughs> thousands and thousands of years, uh, or millions in sixth density, uh, and the mind keeps changing. And whatever joy they get, which is mainly joy, um, is itself passing away, always passes away, but it lasts longer, but it still passes away. And that viparinama dukkha leads them to want to go to a higher dimension, four to five and five to six and six to seven, and seven is pretty much finished. So, <clears throat> meanwhile, at the human, the main type of dukkha is uh, samkara dukkha, or that associated with uh, continual hungering, uh, and that's associated with um, this being kamaloka. So that's a very interesting way of putting it. This is really deep, and I've never heard of these teachings before. The three types of dukkha associated with um, a threefold division of the 31 planes as to the lower four of suffering, the states of woe, W-O-E, and the higher, and meaning mainly positive four, five, six, and um, the human as three types uh, of uh, experience <coughs> associated with dukkha. <coughs> That that <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> this is the <coughs> the dukkha, <coughs> the dukkha of uh, phlegm, which is not mental but just physical. For my mind doesn't generate uh, mental distress to any great degree. Then concluding number eight, <coughs> this is the first noble truth, dukkha sacha, that there is hidden dukkha even in bouts, meaning periods of apparent happiness. Apparent happiness means, you know, real happiness, uh, as real as anything we experience, even in happiness, or pleasure, or joy, or bliss, and love, and well-being, uh, there is a baseline dissatisfactory uh, situation, or a dissatisfaction, or a stress. And that's why stress is a very fine translation of dukkha. You may not feel dissatisfaction at all in joy, um, in nature, with a loved one, alone, or in meditation. I don't feel any distress at all. I don't feel any dissatisfaction with this. But you know it is changing. <laughs> it's, it's never, it's all moment by moment, it's changing. And if you really are sensitive, you'll be sensitive to that.
<clears throat> and you will feel, oh, yes, it is ever-changing. And I've had this experience many times in the old days where I didn't even want moments of bliss because it was too painful to feel them changing and ending while I was in them. <laughs> so I was sensitive to Viparinama Dukkha in the midst of bliss, actually. I remember a number of times I didn't even want to look at certain things because I felt too much bliss and I felt them changing. The experience was changing. It was too painful even to stay in bliss. Um, that was really <laughs> coming out of all sorts of hard Sashin Zen training. <clears throat> uh, so that was a real bummer too. But um, the conclusion he writes is that there is no place within the 31 realms where Dukkha can be overcome permanently. There is no <clears throat> there is no um, realm, <clears throat> there, there is no um, dimensionality in the octave without Dukkha for those who are not yet fully enlightened. Meanwhile, the Dukkha of uh, sixth density <laughs> and uh, uh, fourth or fifth or sixth density life is very, very minor compared to the Dukkha we have here at the human 3D level. And... <clears throat> um, that's why beings actually are attached in higher dimensions to the consciousness of that dimensional experience, because it's quite lovely. And, of course, there's continual change, and Viparinama Dukkha, or the Dukkha that is of that continual moment-to-moment changing, and beings in those higher dimensions actually are not sensitive enough to know it. You see that with all sorts of New Agey types, <clears throat> who um, uh, want to be happier than they are, who think that they're happier than they are, who think that they're really, really well when they're not. I can see the corners of your mouth, you know. I can see your eyes. And they don't see that for themselves, that um, their well-being is somewhat amped up by thinking and feeling. <laughs> that's not the way, and that, that's not permanent either, and that there's a bit of distress because they have some sense that they're not as joyous as they wish they were, and they don't know how to be there permanently, and they don't know that they cannot be there permanently, and they don't really even know the way um, to greater freedom, actually, other than um, searching hither and yon for blissful spiritual experiences, which whether that means... Uh, a new Indian pattern print dress, or braiding my dreadlocks, or going to Goa, or uh, um, whatever that beach is, Binomo Beach, <laughs> not Binomo Beach, something in Australia, Bondi Bay, or something like that. So, I find people, Bali, Ubud is filled with people like that, who don't realize they're in more distress or stress than they think. <clears throat> and have some assumption that they can keep joy mind by um, by by samskaric action, <laughs> by action of mind and body. No, you can't actually, because there's always anicca, and that means there's all there's always viparinama dukkha. Uh, <clears throat> there's also you know psychological patterns people are not aware of. So. That is a pretty wonderful summary from Lal Aryaratna uh, Pinaduage 
of the three types of dukkah, and particularly um, those associated with different dimensionalities, and the pelima, or baseline dukkah, <clears throat> or intrinsic dukkah, intrinsic stressfulness of the unenlightened mind <laughs> in any dimensionality of the octave, uh, doing or not doing, and including in states of happiness, actually. And that doesn't mean uh, don't seek what you seek. Do whatever you want. <laughs> this is not a demand. <laughs> this is um, a diagnosis. This is not, you know, the prescription is up to you. Take it or don't take it. This is the diagnosis. So next time, <clears throat> um, we might get conclude the three marks with the section Anicca Nakta Dukkha or Anicca Dukkha Nata wrong interpretations. And this was one of his early posts, which means a couple of years ago, which means it's more detailed. And there may be some more uh, wonderful understanding we can tease out of it, um, even though I think we got a pretty deep understanding here of um, the nitty-gritty of Dukkha, or the Dukkha Sacha, the first noble truth of Dukkha. Uh, <clears throat> and Anicca is not that hard, and Anatta uh, really comes with, with realization and Gnosis. If a person hasn't had Gnosis, it's hard to really get Anatta, other than insubstantiality. But even that, people don't get so well. So, <clears throat> um, maybe we'll look into that in a couple of weeks. Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, wrong interpretations. So, um, I hope this has been helpful. The material is wonderful. And um, I thank the, the uh, Sinhalese sage, Lal Aryaratna Pinanduage, for this great page and great work. So I hope it's been helpful. Uh, please take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.